It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokie Nation? Happy Monday. Hey, tough weekend for Virginia Tech football. They fall to NC State at home 35-28. to We're going to unpack it all for you with the football crew on set. It's episode 331 of the Tech Sideline podcast, and it starts right now. so much for joining us on this chilly Monday morning in Blacksburg. We record on Monday, November 20th, 2023 from the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center, the Tech Sideline Studios. Hey, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead, leave a like, comment, and subscribe, and do us a favor, refer the show to one of your friends as well. On set, we got the entire football crew, as always. To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. Across the way, senior staff writer Andy Bitter. In the fourth chair, our managing editor David Cunningham. The mustache man behind the scenes, Mr. Nick Brown producing, and I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Well, fellas, tough one against NC State, but first let's tell our viewers that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. The Tech Sideline podcast is also brought to you by Coldwell Banker Townside Realtors, trusted real estate services for the Roanoke and New River Valleys of Virginia. If you're in the market to purchase or sell a residential property, or if you're looking for land or investment property in Southwest Virginia, boy, do we have you covered. Visit cbtownside.com to learn more. 35-28 final score, NC State really kind of dominates Virginia Tech. It didn't quite feel as close the entire game as the final score ended up indicating. I asked you guys initial reactions on Saturday evening. That exact reaction, uh, the final score I thought was a bit flattering. I remember looking up at the scoreboard at one point and the total yardage, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like 260-something to 90-something. And I'm like, well, this isn't going well. You know, it didn't seem like it was going well, and, and, the, and the stats uh, sort of reflected it. Um, I, you know, I, good for Tech for, you know, getting some passing yards in the fourth quarter and, and, you know, making it respectable at the end. And we'll talk about that later. But I uh, thought NC State was really well coached, really well prepared. They've discovered themselves late in the season. They've, they've figured out who they're supposed to be offensively. We talked to last week they never should have benched Brennan Armstrong. If he's used properly, he's a good player, and he showed that on Saturday. And that's the type of offense they need to be running. I'm sure they'd like to go back and play Duke over again, knowing what they know now about what they can and can't do offensively. Um, but I, I thought NC State played a good game. They coached a good game. I, I thought I thought Tech's issues defensively with like linebacker play kind of reared its ugly head yet again. But we didn't learn any new lessons there. My. The one thing that really, really disappointed me was two carries for Byshul Tootin. I never thought, again, thought I would see the day where Virginia Tech running back had two carries in a football game, like like Raheem Blackshear that year against Miami. And yeah, I mean, it was a three-score game for part of the game, but 
NC State didn't take a two-score lead until the 446 mark of the second quarter. And Bishol Tootin still only had two carries, you know. So it's it's kind of inexcusable, I think, where you get arguably your best offensive player is only involved for two touches on offense. That just doesn't – that shouldn't happen in any world, right? Um, you understand the lack of touches in the second half because Tech's trying to throw it and come back. But uh, that's really my main takeaway is, you know, I just thought NC State was better. But I also think Virginia Tech did some things from a decision-making standpoint that uh, kind of helped out their opposition a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I wrote this after the game. I thought it was a, a dud of a performance. And I know what the final stats are going to say. And, oh, they got back within a touchdown, onside kick away. Spiritually, that was a two-score game mm-hmm. or more. I mean, they were down 28-7 to seven in that game. It's like, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, we played Florida State even for the final three quarters, right? But you were mm-hmm. down 22 nothing yeah. in the first quarter. You were down 28-7 to seven in this game before, you know, a couple fourth-quarter uh, touchdowns make this thing look closer than it is. And, you know, you look at NC State's offense, they really sort of turtled it in the second half. They didn't try to score too much, didn't have to do too much. But uh, I thought this was a game where, you know, NC State coaches – Coach circles around Virginia Tech, I thought. I mean, they have two offensive weapons, basically, and they use them to their maximum potential. Uh, you know, credit Robert and I. I know we give them all sorts of uh, grief on this show about the the lateral and crunch time in that game in 2021 against UVA, but I thought he coached a great game. Uh, you know, Concepcion putting him in places, where, you know, all over the field, using him as a runner, a pass. I mean, he threw a pass. In addition to all his receiving success, yeah, uh, you know, Brennan Armstrong, a lot of easy throws for him. I think Tech made some of those throws easier with some of the covers they had, but I thought he put throws on the money. He was a really tough runner. Uh, and then defensively, I thought Peyton Wilson, you know, just wreck shop, honestly. <laughs> I mean, early on, he was like, like there was that one play where Tootin went to the backfield. Uh, he kind of trailed him a little bit, then went out for a swing pass, and he diagnosed it immediately when I dropped him for a loss blew up a screen pass to Daquan right on the next play. You're just like, okay, this is this is elite linebacker play. I thought the linebacker play was just night and day on both sides of the field. So uh, I thought NC State took it to them. You know, you credit Virginia Tech for staying you know cl- somewhat close in the second half. But like I said, that did not feel like a one-score game. And, you know, Chris and I have been talking this whole time. I mean, uh, the only person who got the, skin, the prediction right is over in the fourth chair. <laughs> yeah. So we should be yielding our time to David to, to, to give his knowledge on this game because he got it right. And that's exactly where we're going to head. Decona, what'd you think of the performance on Saturday? So I sat here last week and I said, Hayden I, David got in I listened, last week. Well, so I said, I listened to you guys talk about NC State, the whole <clears throat> podcast. And my indication was everything you guys said made it sound like NC State was going to win this game and win it handily. And that's what I was trying to say. And that's what I I saw then. I, I, I was not... Sure about the NC State offense, but that's exactly what I expected on the other side. I expected NC State's defense to put Virginia Tech behind the chains, which it did. Virginia Tech did not convert a third down until the fourth quarter. Like this was yeah. this was not a game where like the Virginia Tech offense, you know, we were we were talking about it earlier before we went live. Um Kyron Jones finished with 225 yards passing and three touchdowns. Virginia Tech ran 17 first half plays and had 95 yards at halftime. Like, this was a dominant performance from NC State. and 27 like, on one play, too. Yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. right. It's yeah. not like they were moving it down the field at all. It was yeah, all one from, chunk play. From basically. Xavier Turner Bradshaw. Um, I think the wild card, the big question was, was NC State's offense. But, like, you talked about, Chris, and, like, Brandon Patterson wrote, NC State was finding its identity. 
And all NC State did was run, 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 run. And that's the other side, which we've seen multiple times this year against not necessarily good running quarterbacks, but good running teams. Teams have been able to run the ball pretty well against Virginia Tech at times this year. I mean, even Marshall and Rutgers ran the ball very well against Virginia Tech. NC State averaged only four yards per carry, but didn't necessarily need to. And a lot of that, you know, those numbers are a little bit skewed again because Brennan Armstrong took, you know, three... 20 was, yards and kneel down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was trying to run out the clock at the end of the game. But, but NC State played this game to perfection. And what I worried about coming in from the Virginia Tech perspective was... If you get behind early and you have to play from behind, you're playing against a good defense that has been solid all year, that knows what it wants to do, and you're playing against a team that just wants to run the ball. And we saw that. Concepcion had nine carries. Like, and and I think the stark comparison, Andy talked about getting out coached, the Virginia Tech staff. You look at Concepcion, best offensive player for NC State. He had nine rushes, one pass, for a touchdown, and he had seven receptions. He had all those touches. Bashal Tootin had technically four, but one of them was called back for a holding penalty, and the other one was on a kickoff. Mm -hmm. So I just think NC State just played by far the better football game, and that's kind of what I expected coming in. This is a staff that, or this is a Virginia Tech football team that has struggled against good defenses, and when the other team could run the ball very well, like like Virginia Tech got down early, 7 nothing. Um, and from there, it just seemed like it, it was all NC State because NC State basically, like Andy said, you know, NC State didn't have to do it early, but once NC State got up two, three scores, NC State just tur- turtled, if you want to say that, and just ran the ball. And and that was it. NC State played the right game plan, and all Virginia Tech could do was basically sit there and watch. And it didn't matter. Like I think the biggest thing is the time of possession because Virginia Tech's Virginia Tech's uh, scoring drives, the four of them, were less than six minutes apiece, or like in in in, in total in a sixty-minute game. Virginia Tech scored on a one play and a two-play drive, and when those kind of things happen, the other you're like you're throwing your defense back on the field immediately. Just it just was not Virginia Tech's day because NC State was just that much better. Yeah, and uh, I think NC State basically did to Virginia Tech what Virginia Tech did to Boston College the week before. They just totally dominated the time possession, time of possession, basically 40 minutes to 20 minutes, to, if you want to round it a little bit. But uh, when you double the amount of time you have the ball, I mean, it just shows that you're running the football and you're dedicated to the run. And not, I would not have expected Tootin to have big yardage against NC State. That's a really, really good defense. But when your passing game is built off of the run game, you know, and off running plays specifically, then, you know, you have to try to establish that. You know you're not going to, but you know it sets up other things that you can't that you can do. And I just don't think you can justify it. Somebody posted on our board, they sit right behind the bench. They said at one point Tootin was visibly frustrated, just came to the sideline and threw his helmet. And you don't know if that's because of the score or because he's frustrated that he's not touching the football. Probably both, in all honesty. It's funny when I sit here uh, and host the show, I have so much 
bulleted out that I'm ready to talk about. And then you guys managed Let's to cover it. most of it <laughs> in like the first five minutes. But one thing that we hadn't discussed yet is I was impressed that NC State was kind of a play-by-play guys nightmare. They had 10 different receivers targeted, eight different guys caught passes, really mixing the ball around. Of course, Concepcion and Armstrong were the foundation of their offense, but a lot of guys getting in the mix. So you never really knew if you're Virginia Tech defensively exactly where the ball was going to go. It could go anywhere at any moment. Yeah, the, coming in, he had 50 catches. Their second leading receiver had 21. And they had a lot of guys who catch passes, but like not a lot of them who catch a lot of passes, we'll say. Um, but yeah, he's clearly their most talented player. I was impressed. You know, I thought everything went perfectly for NC State and full credit to them for making it go that way. You know, they came out run heavy early. Once they established the run, then they started to pass it a little, a little more. They got the, the, the touchdown pass down the seam right before halftime. And then you come out in the second half, and Virginia Tech wasn't getting pressure, so Tech started blitzing a little more. And then NC State threw a screen pass to the running back against the Tech Blitz, took it down to the one-yard line, and then they scored. And then after all that, then they have their uh, wide receiver you know, take a pitch and throw a touchdown pass. So it's just they had Virginia Tech's defense on its heels from the start of the game to the end of the game. Maybe not so much the fourth quarter when, you know, it had already been decided, but NC State didn't score in the first quarter, and they didn't score in the fourth quarter. They scored, scored all 35 points in the, in the second and third quarter. The first quarter is kind of a feeling out process. You're establishing the running game. Um, and what you do in the first quarter, even though you don't score, helps sets up the set up things later in the game for them, I think. So uh, I've always thought highly of Dave Doran's coaching staff. I think they've done a good job there. Ultimately, I think they have a good chance to beat North Carolina next week. Um, and if they go 9-3, and three, we're probably going to sit here and say, okay, top three teams in this league are Florida State, Louisville, and NC State. And look what happened when Virginia Tech played all three of those teams. Uh, yeah. And again, this one not being as close as a final score indicated, but uh, – you know, Virginia Tech has made huge strides. They can go out there and blow out Boston College and Syracuse and Pitt and teams like that. But in turn, they're also getting smacked by, you know, the teams at the top of the league. So this is a middle-of-the-pack Virginia Tech football team. Um, it, it is what it, it, It's a matchup-based team that it's going to – their results are going to depend on the matchups on, on, on a week-by-week basis. And uh, hopefully the matchups favor them, favor them next week because that's going to be a big one. When you say middle-of-the-pack, I mean – exactly middle exactly. of the pack with uh, you look at SP plus. I always like to do that an efficiency uh, based metric that takes out garbage time and, you know, factors in the opponent you play. And I think they've, they've lost a five, 11 and 42 Florida state, Louisville and uh, NC state. And I might be a little bit off on those numbers, but everybody they've beaten is 70 and lower. UVA coming up is 96. Mm-hmm. So maybe nice. that that tells you kind of, uh, you know, what direction this to think this game might go this week. But uh, also you mentioned uh, sort of the, the deluge of points they had in the second, third quarter. It was such a weird game because uh, 14-0, Virginia Tech kicks it back to them. I think from the 935 uh, point of the second quarter until six minutes into the third quarter, Tech ran one real offensive play. <laughs> Because NC State scored, they come back with a big kick return, the touchdown by Turner Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. NC State comes down and scores right before the half to take the, the two-touchdown lead again. Tech takes a knee, end of the half. NC State has a long drive going the other way. So, you know, you know Price said ah, they got behind. That's why they couldn't run Tudin, which, you know, I don't quite believe. Like, you could throw it to him, too. 
You yeah. can't just take, you know, don't just have to hand it off to him. He gets also a weapon in the passing game. But uh, you look at like why they went away from the runs. Like, well, there was a, a seven point game. Then all of a sudden they were down by, you know, 21. You did kind of have to alter what you were going to do if you're going to speed up and try to get back in this game. That's not an excuse for only giving your best player two touches in a game. But I think that's sort of what he was getting at with that uh, explanation afterwards. It's our journalistic responsibility, right, to cover when things go wrong. And uh, I think the best way to put it is that the linebacker play for Virginia Tech on Saturday was porous. Chris, what went wrong with the linebackers specifically? Uh, I know we had this specific question on the board that somebody asked in the thread, so I'll just go ahead and address this from a holistic point of view on the entire season. We've we've talked about Tech's linebacker issues so many times, and there are two main reasons for it. I don't think I've ever addressed them both at the same time, but I'll go ahead and do that today. First of all, I don't think there's enough natural inside linebackers in this program. I don't think you can fill your entire two deep, maybe even three deep, of inside linebackers with, with guys who were high school safeties. I think there are guys who can do that. Most of the time, those old safeties who develop into really good linebackers they turn into outside linebackers, though, not necessarily between the tackles. You know, Dax Holyfield, Vince Hall types. You, you know, um, I I, saw, I think there's an issue there with the type of linebackers they have in their program and, and what they're asking them to do. And they, they tried to address that by bringing in Stone, uh, Stone Snyder, who, you know, washed out after just a few weeks, apparently. Um, but so that, that, that's an issue, and that will have to be addressed, in my opinion, in the portal. But you also see some regression. Like, Alan Tisdale has not had a good season, and he's playing a different position, but there's not a huge, huge difference between the Will spot and the Mike spot because they're both inside linebacker positions. It's not as big a difference, in my opinion, as, as like the old backer and Mike spots. The backer would a lot of times line up outside the line of scrimmage. She'd line up, or excuse me, outside the tackle box. Sometimes he'd line up inside the tackle box too, but I, I think this will spot is very much an inside linebacker spot. And uh, so the regression from Tisdale this year probably shouldn't have, ha- have happened to the point that it has happened. And even Kelly Lawson, like I don't think he's a natural will, but, and he only played five plays this week due to injury, so you can't lay it all on him, of course, but he hasn't been as good this year as he was in the last three games down the stretch last year when I thought he played really good football. And that's why everybody was so excited about him this year because he played so well down the stretch and he has not carried over that performance. So basically you're, the two guys you've started for most of the year have regressed. And I, th- I think you have to consider both of those things. Um, not enough natural inside linebackers and then regression of, of the guys who do have a decent number of snaps under their belt, in particular uh, Tisdale. So there, there's two different things there that, that Virginia Tech has to evaluate in the offseason. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's, that's been sort of – Virginia Tech still has like a top 25 defense, right, in to, total defense. It's just when they get gouged, they really get gouged. And when they play well, they play really well. There's not a whole lot of in-between. Yeah, and I, I think linebacker's got to be a focus in the transfer portal – this offseason, you lose Tisdale to begin with. Still, not a lot of guys coming in. I mean, I think Gabriel Williams is he the only linebacker? And and in he's the class? And, and again, he's an outside linebacker. He's another star. Virginia Tech's recruiting a whole bunch of stars uh, for the most part. Yeah, and uh, you know, previous classes, I think Ace and Stevens. Yeah. Uh, he's been out all year after. Yeah, I forget what he had surgery on. I think he's he been back- in blue, he's been in blue all year. I think year. he had back to back ACLs. Okay, uh, so you know, I don't know if you can necessarily 
like some young guy is going to be the savior coming in at that spot. And, you know, they, they tried to address a little bit with Stone Snyder last year. I think they need to look at the linebacker spot this year like they looked at the receiver spot last year. Maybe not that little talent existing in the program, but it's it's an issue that they need to go and address. And to the staff's credit, when they have focused on spots in the transfer portal, they found guys. I and mean, they completely turned around that receiver group in one year. Um, you know, APR was an excellent addition on the defensive line. Derek Canteen in the secondary, I think he's been uh, a great fit there. Kyron Drones, obviously mm-hmm. a quarterback. I mean, they've hit on a lot of these uh, transfers that they've had. And so I think this is a pretty good staff in terms of evaluating what they need and finding it. I think when you look top to bottom at your roster and what they're going to need, defensive tackles for sure, because a bunch of them are leaving. And you just need to, to get that uh, group hole uh, just – you know, just to feel comfortable about the middle of the defense there. But then right behind them, middle linebackers, I think, I think you need to look at one or two uh, just to, to up, upgrade the talent in that room and maybe find guys that are a little bit more naturally inclined to that mic position. It's weird you talk about the linebackers on the other side. Peyton Wilson certainly passed the eye test and then some. He looked every bit the part of this All-American caliber linebacker uh, that NC State has. Chris, off the top of your head, do you know how Keonta Jenkins uh, graded out PFF-wise? Because he seemed to be in on a lot of plays. Oh, yeah, he, he had a pretty fine low. game. Yeah, he, did, he, did, he was one yeah. of Tech's better defenders, I Keontae thought. Jenkins? Uh, uh, I think he was pretty low. I think he Keontae was one Jenkins? Of, I think Jenkins Which, and the two linebackers were the three I can, lowest graded I have Keontae guys. Jenkins grade in front of me. It is a 53.8. Was it really? What was his run defense grade? Seventy five point eight. Okay, so that's so what he, I'm looking. I was looking at. Run he was defense, good against yeah. the run, yeah. but he was a thirty one point six in coverage. Right, right. I think, no, I think Jenkins, Tisdale, McDonald were the three yes. lowest starters. I was just about. Defense. I was just about to look that up. Uh, it's since changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phillips and Canteen are below Tisdale yeah. and Jenkins. McDonald is a little bit up. He's up two spots more. Um, but all of those guys, the only linebacker that the, there were two linebackers that graded above a 60. Kelly Lawson. Kelly Lawson the played five ones. snaps. Five he snaps. was tops. <laughs> Jaden Keller played three snaps and he had a 60, right. 63. Yeah. So, and I will say this like, I'm not paying as much attention to the preliminary grades this year because they've, they, they've had a habit of changing more this year between the preliminary grades and the final grades than they have in the past. But generally speaking, they do match up with the eye test, even with the preliminary grades. Uh, Tech's run defense was they kind of like died a slow death to a certain extent with the run defense. Like They gave up like one long run, but other than that, it was four yards, five yards, six yards. It wasn't like huge, huge gaps and everything. But Armstrong uh, is a pile mover. He's, he a, he's a bigger guy than I seem to remember. We, 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 we talked know. about that. I remember seeing him at ACC Media Day when he still played for UVA. And like he's just a thick-bodied dude, and uh, and I I I didn't realize he was that big, right? Either. Yeah, and, with a lefty being out there, he when he runs it, it's it's almost it's like I don't want to say he's like as good as this guy, but kind of Tebow like, where yep. he just kind of like moves the pile, like he's, he's not a shifty guy or anything like that. Like his running style was reminiscent of that. And he had one play where. You know, he, he escaped the rush. He kind of pushed off a, a guy that was about to sack him and then just ran straight through the defense, straight up the middle. It's like, okay, is, is somebody going to tackle this guy? That was a, that was I, a pretty back-breaking play. I, 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 I almost wore my grit shirt today, but I thought that might be in poor taste. <laughs> uh, but, yes, probably got to show a little more grit there. Yeah, like you, you can't. I know he's a tough player, but you can't let him, like, run through you like that, like he did a lot of times on, on Saturday. You know, that's worth bringing up here, Andy. It felt like 
Tech was getting in the backfield, but it felt like uh, Armstrong just seemed to escape anytime he felt some pressure. That's almost more kudos to him. So maybe pass rushing wasn't a huge issue. Uh, Tech did end up with one sack. It was Narell Pollard. Um, I don't even remember that play. Do you, you remember when the sack came? Armstrong was, was rolling the to the left. That yeah. was the slide. Yeah, he but, gave himself up. Oh, yeah. so, so, right. so we didn't have a sack. No. Essentially. Basically. Right. No. Uh, I, I think that's what I a, thought. A, there were very few opportunities because NC State was always ahead of the sticks. Uh, they were always in favorable down in distances. They were never third and long when you could just kind of pin your ears back and go after them. And, and B, I think Armstrong's a pretty crafty guy back there. Uh, you know, he will keep plays alive, but he mm-hmm. can get away from pass rushers. He's smart enough to know when to, a play's dead and just to throw it away. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I think it was a combination of those two things. Right? Not a ton of opportunities, and the few opportunities they did have, he was able to, to you know, get away and, and get rid of the ball. They had that uh, third down and 12. It was in the second half, and he, like, took the snap and then took one look and then threw it out of bounds, and I was like, okay, thanks. Like, on the third and 12, he was just like, all right, we're going to live to fight another day here, not That's trying to do smart, so much. I mean, what's, yeah. the old, what's the only way Tech gets back in that game is if he makes a mistake Turnover. in that mm-hmm. spot. And that's that's – you know, what is he, a 50 or 60-year guy? Yeah. <laughs> he feels like he's been in college for 12 years. Uh, you know, that's what you get when you have a veteran quarterback. Like and we that. said, like, such a savvy veteran play for him to, instead of most quarterbacks, when you're getting chased away like that, when he took the sack, sack as he slid down, most guys are going to throw that out of bounds or just run out of bounds. And, no, he slid down because it took probably 40 seconds away yeah, from well, Virginia Tech. I mean, that was Very genius. He got up and he even made, like, the, the clock running. Yeah, so yeah, smart. He knew I mean, exactly what he was doing. He, he knew that the clock was their friend at that point. And yeah. that's what I meant. But, you know, NC State, people are like, oh, they got back. Virginia Tech got back in the games. Like, NC State wasn't really trying to score at that point. They knew the clock was their friend. They could just kind of run things out even if they weren't scoring. Such a small little detail here, but it was something that kind of jumped out to me. So Tech ends up not going with the onside kick with like seven minutes left. Worked out for them because they did get that defensive stop. So that ended up being the right move there. Obviously, you go to a situation later, you're forced to onside kick it. You need the football back. Well, Kyle Lowe executed the onside kick. Granted, it was in the middle of the game to catch him by surprise last week. (laughs) Then they put John Love out there for the onside kick this time. And I just kind of said, why? You know, you had a guy that did it last week. Maybe they felt better about John Love's ability, wanted to get your guys' thoughts. It just seems like if you've done it once, stick with it, right? I'm I'm guessing he is better at the ones that you have to, like, get it to bounce high. Right. Uh, You know, the Kyle Lowe one was an element of surprise. So you have your regular kickoff guy out there. You catch him by surprise that little bunt kick, whatever they call it. Uh, I don't have inside knowledge about, you know, who's the better kicker on the regular onside kicks, but that would be my guess is he's just better in those those bouncy ones. I think that's accurate. There are different types of onside kicks, and you have both guys practice both of them, and one, one guy might be better in one situation than, than others. Uh, but you don't see this very often, but some teams have a long field goal specialist and a short field goal specialist, right? And it could be the same thing for onside kicks. Another shame, lack of opportunity for John Love. You know, he, he's really taken a step up this year, his second year uh, kicking for Virginia Tech, and uh, obviously didn't kick a ton last year. Uh, just towards the back end of the year, they kind of put him in for Will Ross for a couple of games, and he struggled a little bit. But when you you can't even get your guy in the field goal range and give him chances, and then you're playing that far behind, just a tough situation to be in. Uh, let's Let's go ahead and go over a little bit of uh, buy or sell results here. We're not going to go question by question this week just for the sake of time, but we're going to go through some highlights here. Uh, and first, we'll start with what the records were. And we had a little bit of shakeup. So, 
for the sake of time, I don't even know if we need to go through this. (laughs) Yeah, because you're the one that lost the week, Andy. All right, so so Chris and David uh, both tied. They went 14 and 11 on the week with the 25 questions. Andy started really, really slow. There was a point where Andy was like 2 and 7 in the early portion of the questions as I'm going through this, and I was like, oh, boy, Andy's not going to be in a good mood. Ended up finishing 11 of 14, but what it did to the standings was pretty interesting because Andy has a week on you two when you guys weren't on the podcast and it was Andy and Will a couple of weeks back. He's still in okay shape. Chris is now our all-time leader at 60%. He's 52 and 35. David, 53%. He's 46, 40 and 1. Andy is 61 and 45 for 58%. So, Andy, you're still in the mix heading into the final week of the regular season. If you go to a bowl, that can help your case as well. Yeah, Virginia Tech's going to need to make a bowl game because I want to come back in this contest here. So let's go through some of the the bigger, more important ones that really stand out. Kyron Drones, two or more touchdowns. Everybody bought it. He threw for three. Granted, it came kind of late. Didn't have one on the ground, but he did have two or more. Uh, Basial, two and any time touchdown. Chris and Andy both bought that. David sold it. David was right on that one, too. Are, are you sure that wasn't any time touch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Just any touch. Because he had two of them, he three of them technically with the kickoff. So <laughs> I, I want to go back and look at the wording on that one. It, it does say TD. Okay. That is, right. that is mm. touchdown. Uh, Vegas has confirmed. Uh, Virginia Tech, 40% or better on third down. Everybody sold it. You guys were all right. They went one for seven uh, on third down. NC State, 35% or better on third down. This was very telling in the game. You guys all sold it. You guys all got it wrong. They went 7 to 15, 46%, which is weird because that's exactly what Virginia Tech did last week against Boston College. Same exact numbers there, 7 to 15. Um, Virginia Tech, 50% or better in the red zone on touchdown to field goal. Chris bought it. Andy sold it. David sold it. They did. They went two of three uh, for two touchdowns in the red zone. Problem was, he didn't get there very didn't much. Get, didn't get there until the fourth quarter, basically. Yeah, that's a, that's generally a problem. Everybody said Virginia Tech was going to force a turnover. It did not happen. Virginia Tech did not force a turnover. Chris and David both said NC State would force one. Andy sold it. NC State had that interception. That was after the seven-minute mark, and you just thought that was the game sealer right there. I thought I was going to steal that one in the game because they had the one where they had, uh, the guy interfered with uh, yeah. Gosnell yes. and uh, took it back. I'm like, all right, dodged, dodged one there. Uh, and then Drones, I, I don't really know what happened on that pick because it looked like he had, I think it was Felton oh, he's running open. up the seam. And uh, I don't know if he was under pressure. I can't remember the play exactly in my mind, but yeah, the, the I, throw just was off target. I, re- I remember the uh, end result of the play, but I don't remember what the beginning of the play looked like. I think at that, at that stage of the game, like, you're, I, again, I don't remember exactly what it looked like, but you're more likely to throw an interception at that stage because you're going to take more of a risk. Yeah, you're pressing. No doubt. You're pressing, yeah. of course, yeah. No doubt. It, it, it seemed it was not tipped. Uh, on the replay, but it seemed wildly underthrown, unfortunately. Whether there was miscommunication, it was it was unlike drones for that to be that off target because sure. he, he has been a pretty de- decent passer. And one thing he hasn't done a ton is throw it that short. Uh, I think I think just a little bit of a misread there. Um, drones played the entire game. Uh, Quan Felton, anytime touchdown. Everybody sold that. He had two of them. So um, kind of proved you guys wrong there. He had that late one. It was the second to last touchdown. Gosnell had his second of the year with that that last one that just kind of felt a little irrelevant, but it still took place, obviously. Concepcion, five or more carries. Yeah, he had nine carries for 44 yards. That was over on the first drive. Yeah. I was monitoring that in the press box, and it's just <laughs> they gave it to him like two or three times on the first drive. I'm like, this one's over. This one's over. <laughs> I already over. chalked this one up as a loss. I, I turned to Dave, and I'm like, yep, that one chalked that. I'm, I'm losing ground on that one. Well, I don't know what you were 
thinking. I guess, Andy, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty because you also said he wouldn't have five or more receptions. He caught seven passes for 63 yards. I really yards. was underestimating Concepcion, uh, not <laughs> realizing that he was such a star on that team. So apologies to Casey <laughs> Concepcion. He's pretty dang good. Virginia, he's a true freshman too, which is crazy. Uh, Virginia Tech, two or more sacks. Technically, they had one. I barely count that, but Vegas would count it for sure. Everybody bought it. Unfortunately, that one uh, did not hit for you guys. We'll kind of skip down the list a little bit here. This one, uh, this I was proud of this line. I was proud of this line. Kyron Drones, 55 or more rushing yards. Didn't hit. Chris and David both bought it. Andy sold it. Andy was right. He had 51 net rushing yards. He gained 55 yards, but because sack yardage, he missed it by four. So that's a pretty good line. If I remember correctly, that was my exact reasoning for saying under on that. I wasn't completely off base uh, with my terrible week of predictions. Well, I also thought (laughs) Virginia Tech would run the ball more than 16 times. That's true. Yeah. Which, by the way was the fewest number of carries by Virginia Tech on record ever. Shout out to Scott Glessner. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll unpack more of stat time with Scott Glessner for sure. That's why, What are your thoughts on that? That's crazy. It's game circumstances. I mean, yeah. You're down 21, you got to throw it. Um, also, yeah. the modern era of college football, a lot more right. passing. I think it gets that way. But they didn't run a lot of plays. Like we mentioned, the, the weird, I mean, they had two scoring drives that lasted three plays total. So you're not going to get a lot of running plays in that if that's the case. And then they were behind for a lot of the game. And when you don't have the ball for, you know, 40 minutes, you only have it for 20 minutes, you're not going to have a lot of opportunity to run. So I think it makes sense when you look at how the game played out and everything. But it is still still kind of a remarkable stat when you're coming off of, you know, two of your previous three weeks, you had run for 300 plus yards. Uh, you would think he would try to do that a little bit more, and they just couldn't get it going. Iron- Ironically, the 7.8 yards per rush by Virginia Tech is the most since the 2020 BC game because of the one run. That's right. The yeah. one run. Malachi Thomas, 20 or more yards, another decent line. He had 16 yards. Everybody bought it, so everybody got that one wrong. The one run was really one good. One run, though. it was pretty yeah. good average. <laughs> Give it to him once more, he's there. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, well, we all underestimated NC State's passing game uh, because everybody said that they would have less than 150 yards through the air, and instead they had 220. That's a big result of having the ball for 40 minutes, it feels like, uh, when you have that many opportunities. Uh, NC State less than 100 yards on the ground. Uh, everybody sold that. They had 188 yards on the ground, so you guys were all right there. Daquan Wright, two or more catches. He had four for 42 yards. He was in the mix just a tick more, like a catch or two more than he typically is. Um, drones kind of went to him. David got that one wrong. Andy and Chris got that one right. Jalen Lane, 40 or more receiving yards. He had four catches, 66 yards, but along a 34. So he almost bit it all off in one play. Everybody bought that. Everyone got it right. Um, And then we'll just kind of finish off here with the over-under. Wasn't even close. Chris picked the over. David picked the over. So you guys are right. Andy picked the under. And 63 total points were scored. If I remember right, Chris did not feel great about picking the over on that one. No. No, but it, it was you were over by like a half a point. Uh, uh, no, yeah, like, was, I was, guess I have to go over with point. that one. So yeah. I guess we'll give you the point still, but I don't know. <laughs> so one more time, Chris finishes 14 and 11, David 14 and 11, Andy 11 and 14. Chris, the new leader, 60%. David's at 53%. Andy still in the hunt, 58%. Chris takes the new lead, though, because you guys were tied last week. I guess I have to turtle up against uh, UVA next week and protect my lead. Scared money don't make money, Chris. <laughs> you got to keep going. But if it comes down to bowl games, I mean, good things. Bowl, good thing that bowl games are always so predictable. Right, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> 
could have made a lot of money, uh, uh, a lot of headway, I think, on the pinstripe bowl last time when they were in bowl game because mm. – Whew, that, that was pretty ugly. I, th- I think a lot of people saw that one coming. I will say you guys can blame the boss for this one. It has just been requested before the show today that we dial the questions from 25 down to around 10 or 15 questions. So now you have less I disagree. I think we need to double the number. Of I don't think you can change the rules till the offseason. That's right. I can't change the rules in the middle what of the season. Right. The Big 12 changing his tie-breaking <laughs> procedures mid-season here. Come on now. Yeah. Well, Will signs my paycheck, so okay. I'm going to need you guys to say we'll something. Talk to we'll talk to him. We'll get it back up to 25 talk to the boss talk to the boss david let's go to you in the fourth chair i know you got a handful of uh, pretty awesome questions for us the the and chris you answered some of the linebacker stuff earlier um i have a question about slow starts and that that was something that um we haven't really i don't want to say we haven't we haven't or have seen at home because it's been virginia tech has had some fluky games at home this year when you think about the purdue game and when you think about just this NC State game in terms of the way the game ended in the scoring. Um, But slow starts from VT seem to be the norm rather than the exception. What can the coaching staff do with regards to preparation, game day procedures, warm-up, et cetera, to make it happen less frequently, understanding it's a team of college kids? College football teams can and will have off days. and games, they come out flat, but we seem to have sleepwalking games way too often. You know, every team, I'm sure almost every team, scripts a certain number of offensive plays at the beginning. And I don't know, Steiny used to catch a lot of flack for this from the fans. New Roanoke College head coach. That's Brian right. Steinsbring. Currently being you, introduced, you, I guess, you, as you, we you record this. used to catch this. a lot of flack. But a lot of coaches do that because they go into games and they want to see everybody has a, tweaks their game plans every week, right? So they want to see how's this defense going to line up against this specific formation. So you'll call a play to get yourself in that formation just to see how the defense lines up, see how they're approaching this week. And that affects your your planning and, and play calling later in the game. Um, I I don't know. I, I just think that's probably something they'll have to examine in the, in the, in the off season to a certain extent, how they script, maybe how much they script or, or they're, are they giving themselves enough options within their scripting? Maybe. Um, that's something that, that, that you could look at. But to be fair, NC State got off to a slow start in this game, too. Right, that, not, they didn't score in the first quarter. There are different kinds of slow starts. Yeah. Like Florida State, that was a no-show on both sides of the ball <laughs> by Tech right away. Purdue, that was a no-show by both sides of the ball to come out. Defense showed up right away. Offense didn't score any points, but that might just be a function of going against a really good defense, right. too. So I don't know if, you know, sometimes you look at the, the entire team and you go, man, looks like they just, we're not ready for this game. What, what were they doing to prepare them? I, I didn't get that sense in this game. I thought they were there. They were ready. They were, you know, that was a, a tight game in the first quarter. It was zero zero. Nobody got scoring until the second quarter. They just couldn't get anything going offensively. And I, I don't look at that and go, man, they, they just didn't show up. I thought they were trying. They just NC state was better. Did you ever have a bad feeling out of the gate? I just kind of felt like you go three and out on the first drive and it was like, ah, I mean, history has shown us this season when Tech doesn't get a good start. And grant, granted, it wasn't necessarily a bad start. Three and outs happen to start a ball game. It was a slow start. And when Tech gets out to a slow start, they have not won football games in 2023. I didn't think it would be a high-scoring game, and I knew NC State's defense was good. I, I called them a Louisville-level defense before the game. I knew they'd be a good defense. I thought Tech would play better than they did. 
But I thought Louisville's, or excuse me, NC State's defense was excellent. So I wasn't surprised by it. And I wasn't necessarily concerned by it. Now, when it happened, I'm just sitting there like, okay, just don't let them jump out to an early lead. Make sure you stop them because they don't have a very good offense. And it's going to come down to mistakes and field position and things like that. That was my thinking like at the end of the first quarter, right? Um, but then NC State kind of finally stepped on the gas. Yeah, I, I tweeted that, you know. Tweets that don't age well. Uh, the points are going to be at a premium in this game or something like that. Somebody, of course, later in the game is like, this didn't age well. It's like, okay, yeah. All, not all my tweets are, are great through, at the end of the <laughs> game when you're trying to make predictions about stuff. But I, I I felt like they were giving up ground in the field position battle early on because they couldn't get any first downs. And NC State would move it a little bit, and the punts weren't great, and they kept going closer to midfield. And you're like, okay, when is this? Uh, damn gonna break here uh, I didn't think it would be five straight touchdowns on five straight possessions uh, I think that's the part that's like oh man you know NC State was averaging I think 17.6 points per game in ACC play and then they come in here and score 35 it's like that that was a, a defensive letdown on that and I think that's the point when they started rolling on every series it's like okay this this one's not I don't think they're stopping them in this game David anything else from the fourth year oh yeah um with one regular season game left, we can safely start to summarize the season in terms of on-field improvement at each position. Improvement being the main goal some wanted out of the season. Which positions did not improve the way you expected to see? Should there be any coaching changes to improve those positions? Or is it as simple as Virginia Tech needs more talent at those positions? For me, I think they got better at every position on offense. Um, even offensive line, I think, was slightly better than it was last year. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, defense, I think, was uh, the tackles. I didn't think got off to a great start, but 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 I think they were playing. I think they played pretty well on Saturday. It was just, you know, linebacker play behind them wasn't great. APR improved defensive ends. The cornerbacks never even got challenged. Right. So it's not that they got better or worse. It's I'd just, say linebackers, certainly. We've talked mm-hmm. about that ad nauseum here. Safeties, it's been such a revolving door there that it's even tough to to grade them too much. But on the whole, you know, you go from three and eight to possibly six and six. I think there has been, uh, you know, improvement on this team. Like I wrote in my story on Saturday, like, you know, progress an upper trajectory is just not a straight line. You know, you're going to have starts and stops. And uh, I think you go back to the preseason predictions. And if we could somehow incorporate preseason predictions into our uh, buy sell here, I, I was pretty spot on in my game by game with the preseason predictions. I mean, six and six is about what everybody, I think, on this set had them at uh, before the season. So, uh, I know it's it's a disappointing result this week, but I think if they beat UVA, they're about where people were hoping they would be this year as a program. So what is the feel right now heading into the UVA? Like, it feels like a disappointment. Boy, it would have been really fun to have a chance to win seven. There's just kind of a different step when you get above six and six. Um, but but what is the vibe right now, you think? Oh, I've already got NC State out of my mind, basically, with the exception of the information I need for this podcast. It's hate like, week. Whatever. It's not, not even hate week, per se. It's just you've been in this situation before where you have to beat UVA to go to a bowl game. Um, my main thing of this year is six and six. That was my expectation as well. Uh, they, they took a different route than I thought they would take to possibly get there. Uh, like I thought they'd, they'd start three and one and then kind of like struggle as the schedule picked up. But instead they started one and three and they've actually done better in conference play. But whatever. Uh, the improvement has been there from an eye test perspective. I think at every position except for linebacker and, and safety, you can't judge because 
of the, of the injuries. Uh, so Pry's got Pry and Marv have some some figuring have to figure some things out at linebacker in the offseason, of course. But as far as this UVA game goes, I think everybody was down after the Marshall game. I don't think anybody was more down than I was, but I think pretty much everybody was down after that Marshall game. And I think they've done a tremendous job to to rescue that situation throughout the course of the season and put themselves in that position. I don't think either anybody would have predicted they'd be in this position after the Marshall game. It just no, did not no, look like they no. had the look of being able to do that. Um, I, so I think they've done a great – they kept the team engaged, which I think is a great job by Pry. They tweaked the offensive scheme heavily, which is a good job by the offensive coaching staff. I, I think they've, they've done a lot of good things this year. The problem is if you lose to UVA, like I think in a lot of people's minds – it undoes a lot of that good work. Uh, like for, the same thing happened in 2019. Like Virginia Tech got off to a tough start, started two and two. They looked bad. It was a bad two and two. They changed quarterbacks. They tweaked the offensive scheme. All of a sudden, they won six out of their next seven games. Their only loss was a one-score loss at Notre Dame with your third-string quarterback. You can't even get on the field with Temple. That was a really good last second loss. Exactly last, the last minute. Exactly. Too. That was a really good piece of coaching, by in-season coaching by that staff. And then they went and lost to UVA, and it's like none of it mattered, right? Well, it was more than UVA. They lost UVA. And then they, they lost, lost the to ball. Kentucky. Correct. But Fuente flirted with Baylor. Right. And it was never the same. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> never the same after that. I know, but but I, I do think that UVA, people were, people were mad after that UVA loss, really mad. And I worry that I, I think the staff has done so much in my eyes to get them past the three and eight season. Cause I didn't know what tech had from a coaching standpoint after last year, I certainly was not sold on what they had from a coaching standpoint after a one and three start, but things have been so much better this since then. I've always been a big pride believer as far as how he's going to run the program, player development, player acquisition. Uh, he's already proven himself as far as that standpoint, but the actual on field coaching, I didn't know about it. It's been so much better since post Marshall. And, but I'm worried, like emotionally, if you lose that game next week, in a lot of people's eyes, it's going to undo the t- this year's turnaround and people are going to forget about it. So for me, th- this game, yes, it's big because it's UVA and yes, it's big for bowl eligibility. But I, I think in the perception of some people for this coaching staff, it's also big. I think if you win this game, people are going to be like moving in the right direction. But if you lose it, I think you're still moving in the right direction, but not as many people are going to recognize that. Yeah, you, you just had perception. I mean, there's such a uh, wide gulf between being six and six and five and seven. Like that, more than six and six and seven and five, one, seven and five and eight and four, six and six and five and seven is enormous, uh, you know, for the bowl part of it. And you're like, okay, they made the bowl game. Everybody's happy at the end of the year that you may make a bowl game, regardless of where you go, regardless of whether you win or lose. If you get to a bowl game, it's it's considered an accomplishment. Uh, but then the UVA piece of it, and, you know, they don't take kindly to losing <laughs> to UVA around here. They haven't done it a whole lot in the last two decades. And, uh, you know, we saw the reaction the last time that they lost uh, to UVA in this situation. So uh, if you do it when bowl eligibility is at stake against this UVA team that's been, you know, quite honestly, all over the map this year, I have no idea what to expect uh, from the Cavaliers in this game. I mean, they go down and they beat UNC, and then they come home and they lose to Georgia Tech by 20 some points. Yeah. I mean, it's just, they're all over the map. I have no idea what to expect, but... Uh, 
it, it's not a good way to go into the offseason if that's the last memory of people have of the season because you won't have a bowl game after that. At least the, that 2019 19 team had a bowl game after that, and Bud was retiring. And I, I think, you know, the, the memory of the UVA game was there, but it wasn't like the only thing people had to remember from the season. Uh, if you lose this game, that's all people are going to remember for the next, you know, what is it, eight, nine months until the next season. So uh, for prize sake, they probably should win this game if he doesn't want to hear about it all offseason. <laughs> How is the seat right now if you're Tyler Bowen and Chris Marv? Do you think that the, the pressure is off and there's a lot less heat than there was when you were one and three, obviously? Uh, you know, no, but there's not enough evidence. Brent Price in his second year as a head coach, there's no evidence at all about whether he's got a quick trigger on things like that. I guess, I guess if it was exceptionally quick, he would have done something after last year with the offense, uh, but, but he didn't. Uh, now his mentor, Franklin, well, it generally had a really quick trigger when it comes to like, and that's worked so well with yeah, the offense. Yeah, so well with it. Kind of did a little something though because he moved Bowen into the quarterback room. That was that was a, a switch. There was yeah. a change there. Yeah. He did, but that was also a result of Glenn leaving. Yeah. Right. So you're just, you're just you're trying to flip some things, and you know you're trying to get the the the, the mix right and everything like that. Um, so I just uh, I don't know. I, I I actually feel better right now about the offense from a coaching standpoint than I that I do about like I, I like Marv uh, I, I'm actually okay with him as a defensive coordinator I don't know about linebacker coach per se because like his starters regressed that, this year but at the same time just look at last year how much better Dax Holyfield had been or was since since Marv got here like Holyfield was a much better player last year and also Alan Tisdale had played better last year than he had played the year before so last year we see, we saw progress from the players and, the, and But this year we saw regression, so I'm still not quite sure what to make of it. I mean, to your so, question about the coordinator, I don't think anything happens to either of the coordinators. They're safe. Yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. Um, you You'd know, have to think Tebow at least is safe. I think yeah. when you step back and you don't look week to week and oh my, they're up, they're down, they're all over the place, you, you have to look at general improvement. And what was this offense last year? 118th Something like in the that. country? They've made strides, pretty big strides offensively. What was this defense last year? 60th, 70th, something over there. And now we're talking about them being 25th. Big picture, there has been improvement on that front. And, you know, Price sees the process of that. And it's not always a results-oriented thing. Did you win? Did you lose? How did you play week to week? Big picture with the program, are you moving forward? And I think they are. Now, I'm not saying the entire staff's coming back because I'm not naive enough in this day and age to think that all 10 assistant coaches are going to, you know, how many schools have all 10 come back every single year? So uh, some guys might get opportunities to go elsewhere. Maybe they shuffle some some things up. I'm not going to say all 10 are coming back, but core. Coordinators, I think the coordinators are probably back. Chris, how much do you think uh, maybe the linebacker regression is a result of the fact that, well, Brent Pry was calling the defense last year. Marv could really give his undivided attention to coaching up the linebackers individually. Now he's got the responsibility of being the D.C., calling the plays, and also coaching up the linebackers. You think there's a correlation? It could be. Um, I still, you know, maybe Kelly Lawson's streak a good play to end last season was just that. Maybe he just caught a hot hand at the table, so to speak. Um, but still, it's kind of weird that, that both guys, there, there, there was regression. Maybe Pry, I mean, maybe Pry was like more hands-on. Not only, you know, he was obviously defensive coordinator calling the defense last year. Maybe he was more hands-on with the linebackers, too. I, I really, really don't know. But there's enough. there are enough people in this program that know enough about linebackers from either coaching it or playing it, that I, they'll be able to put their heads together, I think, and, and figure it out. 
At least uh, I how, hope. How, how much of that just stems from having a true mic? Uh, you're right. Uh, so a and lot you, of it. Probably. You have a guy like Dax who wasn't the fastest player. I think that was the one drawback to Dax's game is that he wasn't like a speedster out there, but he was smart. He was in the right place. He was leader of the defense. He ran the show. I mean, you had somebody like that in the middle of the defense, and you don't have that now. And I think that, you know, when you have somebody like that playing in the middle of the defense and then Kelly Lawson comes on at the end of the season, you have that bedrock in the middle. The other guy can kind of do some stuff, doesn't have to be as steady play to play and, and can do some spectacular stuff, but you lose that guy that you can count on all the time. And all of a sudden, the other positions may be a little bit more shaky too. And you know, the, the calls on defense aren't the same. So, uh, you know, we'll be like, Oh, what are these coaches doing? They can't do anybody there. It's like, sometimes I think you're missing that player that trickles down to every other position. That's certainly true. And I think off the top of my head, I believe Dax graded out above an 80 against the run last year, which is an exceptional grade. He, people remember like a few passing plays. Well, because they, they were asking him to do things that he wasn't suited to Correct. do, like cover a slot receiver right. 25 right. yards down against the field. Most, Carolina. Most, yeah. most like, mics right. can't do that. I know. Uh, the, the, what's the, the 49ers guy who just got hurt? It's like that. You call that play with that linebacker. Right, you, right. Don't, you don't do put Dax in that situation. So I think they put him in some unfavorable situations. I, I agree with that. But, you know, and against the run, he was exceptional last year. And, you know, he, he's grading out in the 80s last year, and all of a sudden, sometimes this year, your mics are grading out in the 40s. I mean, that's just a huge, huge drop-off, and that's going to that's gonna show up against the best teams on your schedule. So I I agree. I, I, think, I think they need to go out and find at least one natural inside linebacker in the portal. And I already know one that I want, and I don't know if he'll be in the portal or not, but I think a lot of other teams would want him too if he entered. Yeah, it does kind of have a feel that they're lacking the quarterback on defense that they did have uh, in Dax Hollifield, who had been here for so long. David, let's do a little uh, stat time with Scott Glessner over there in the fourth chair. Sure. So uh, Chris already talked about the uh, the rushing attempts. Virginia Tech's 16 rushing attempts are fewest on record. Um, it's the first time Virginia Tech has had more completions than rushing attempts since the 2017 Clemson game. Uh, Virginia Tech uh, had 17... Uh, completions on 30 attempts, only 16 rushes. Um, Andy, as he pointed out uh, in his story, this is the fifth time Virginia Tech is heading into the UVA game, five and six. Um, there was, well, that was 2018. Tech was heading in there with four wins. 2018, and they, had, they were four and six. They had to win that and then even to reschedule the Marshall game or put Marshall on the schedule in that weird December game to get bowl eligible. I think 2012, they were four and six also. They had to beat Boston College and UVA back yep. to back. Yep. Uh, but BC came first. BC came first, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that UVA, that 2018 UVA game here. No, it was crazy. Holy game. cow. Yeah. Like yeah. 16 things had to happen in order in the fourth quarter for Virginia Tech to win that game. Mm-hmm. That was unbelievable. Uh, this is the fourth time in the last 10 seasons. Tech's coming off a loss and UVA's coming off a win. Um, the 46 plays ran by Virginia Tech against NC State are the fewest since Georgia Tech Uh, in 2009, which was 45. The only other game on file that is lower was Syracuse 1998. And I went and kind of cross-checked it with the time of possession numbers in terms of um, this is the fourth most time of possession an opponent has had against Virginia Tech. And if you look at like the top 10, the Georgia Tech game, the Syracuse game are in there. So it all, I mean, it all matches up. Like when you have... You know, when the other team has 40-something minutes of time of possession or even 38. And this mm-hmm. is the second time this season that Virginia Tech, an opponent, has had more than 38 
the ball for more than 38 minutes. Purdue did that against Virginia Tech. You're going to run fewer plays, and that's just the way it is, and that factors in everything from, you know, you run the ball fewer times, you throw it more because you're playing from behind probably. Bashal Tutin has fewer carries. Uh, the last time a team ran 20 or more plays in a game uh, than Virginia Tech was last year's NC State game. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the last time Virginia Tech allowed 21 or more points in the second quarter, this is a good find by Scott, was the 2019 blowout loss to Duke. Tech was winning that game three to nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. Strong start. And Great then it's just start. Like, oh, man. Yeah. People talk about they don't get off to fast starts. What yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech has still, one game remaining in the regular season, has still not allowed one, a 100-yard receiver. That That is um, pretty impressive, and I think it goes to talk about, we talked a lot last week about Dorian Strong. Um just about the job he's done. Derek Canteen, Monsoor Delane. Tech's been pretty good in, in coverage this year. That is going to be put to the test this week because Malik Washington yeah. is yes. a dude. That guy. He's pretty like, big, isn't he? I saw that, and I'm like, how did this guy play at Northwestern? Northwestern was horrible on yeah. offense. Like, what were they doing with this guy? Because he makes catches all over the place. They find a way to get him the ball. Uh, it's going to be a real challenge for this group. Um Scott noted that this is the longest streak, 13 games in a row, without allowing a 100-yard receiver. Uh, that was The streak was that same 13-game streak was uh, in 2005-2006, bookended by Calvin Johnson. So a pretty good receiver. Yeah, there. yeah, he was pretty good. Um, Tech is 1-15 in its last 16 games when, when not scoring in the first quarter. So NC there's a State is 1-0 in its last one game when they yeah. didn't score in the first quarter. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. In, in only three of those games did Tech also hold its opponents to no points in the first quarter. Okay, there we go. Uh, and this is the third time the season Tech has lost by seven points. The only other time, uh, the only other time Tech has lost by seven points in a season three times was 1991. So there's your there's your stat time. And Tech has not won a one score game yet this year. Correct. 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 I'd be interested to know what the last time that Tech didn't have a one. Hey, you guys wanted you guys wanted Tech to score in the twenties. Tech scored in the twenties. That's right. Sure did. That should have been well, a buy sell. When Brent Pry wins, he wins big. None of this. He's not gonna. He's never gonna give you a heart attack. Apparently, as Virginia Tech's head coach, right? It's it's gonna be. It feels like blowouts. we haven't had a close game all year. That was actually like close. Down like, to the wire. Last drive yeah, of the game. Yeah. Purdue kind of, but you never really felt like that had a great chance to succeed on the right, last drive. Yeah. Marshall is this sort of like Purdue. Yeah. yeah. The last ditch but drive. I think, I think that it, is but. just the way this team plays, where it is either Virginia Tech is dominant and playing very well, or as we've seen other times this year, Virginia Tech is behind. Like, you look at that Purdue game, Tech was... I mean, I like it's interesting because that Virgi- the Purdue and Rutgers games are both close at the end of three quarters, but the other team pulled away, and at the end of the game, it wasn't close. Like 15 minutes later, it wasn't close. But there has not necessarily been a close game for 40 minutes, and that's, I think, partly because this team is young. It's in year two. It's inconsistent. And you guys talked about it a little bit. There was a poll going around on Twitter. I think it was the Hokie Hangover podcast that tweeted it out. And said, if Virginia Tech finishes five and seven, is the season a failure? And I want you guys to chime in, but my reaction is no, because as you guys talked about, this was a three win team last year with not much talent. The cupboard was very, very bare when Brent Pride took over. They brought in all of these guys from the transfer portal. They had a, they've, you know, continued to bring in a pretty good recruiting class. And we've seen the offensive turnaround. 
We've talked about it before, Chris. Every single Virginia Tech offensive player is eligible to return. The majority of the defense is able to come back. you got holes at defensive line and linebacker. But besides that, this is going to be a, a team that is set, is carrying momentum, I should say, into the future. You guys talked on it about it a little bit in terms of what the UVA loss does in terms of perception. But I would say no. Yeah, it might be a disappointment for Virginia Tech fans, but five and seven, after, you know, it is not a failure. Like it is a, it can you can say it is a disappointment, but Virginia Tech has accomplished a lot this season. Strides have been made. Yeah, it's progress, but it'd be a disappointment, especially after you get to four and four, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, you got past that those early season troubles. What is possible with this team? And then the the to you know stumble down the stretch like that and like we mentioned before UVA loss colors the perception of the entire season so people will look at that as a I don't know failure would be the wrong word but disappointment I think would definitely be fair yeah I think uh the fact that it's UVA and I can answer that question right now this week having not played the game so I don't know how I would feel emotionally yeah if Virginia Tech loses the game I don't know how I would feel you know I hope I don't find out but I, I can say it right now, feeling no emotions, that I still think it would be a sign of progress. I'd be disappointed to lose, but I would not consider it a sign of failure because the main thing I said this year is I said, I, I think Tech will go 6-6, six and six, and I think they should. But the main thing I want to see is like the eye test, the progress eye test needs to be there. And it's been there, in my opinion. Um, of course, there's been some up, ups and downs, but yeah, when you're going to go 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five or 5-7, five and seven, that's just the way that's the way those seasons are. It's not going to be steady. Um, if you look at the overall pro- product this year, they have made progress. I say that right now before the game. If they lose the game, I don't know how I'll feel emotionally as a Virginia Tech graduate. I might have a different view after it happens. You might too. You just don't know it yet, right? Um, tech fans in general, like, like that's a game they're not used to losing. And so it, it, if it happens, it might be rough for a little while. Um, We're going to go live to you after a few beers in if this does happen. It's get, all get, over. Get your true opinion. Fire everybody. Uh, Chris, yeah. live <laughs> podcast right after the game if they happen but to lose. The my, beers my, are no longer my, a good my, luck My Carlsberg either. streak got broken. Did you throw yeah. the entire thing out of the fridge? No, no. Okay. So I drank them all. See, but again, I, I will say this. I, I, I will say right now that if Virginia Tech finishes five and seven because it loses UVA this season is not a failure because the progress has been made and you've got to carry over progress from year one to two and year two to three. And I think Virginia Tech has done that. And I think the staff, if the staff does what it did in the portal last season, this Virginia Tech team is going to be set. It'll be disappoint. It'll be disappointment. Yes. And, and I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans, alums, students, everybody will, I mean, everybody hates losing to UVA. That's just the way it is. But in the grand scheme of things, like Andy said, when you look at the thousand foot view, this is, it is like right now, this is a successful season for Virginia Tech. It is an improvement. It is not maybe exactly what you wanted. Virginia Tech would, of course, love to win six games and go to a bowl. And I think that is great. But winning five games, being that close, winning on beating an ACC dominating—I shouldn't say just be dominating an ACC team on the road. Finally, like winning three game, three ACC games in a row at home. Like there have been benchmarks. I think back to Will's Monday thoughts. He wrote uh, 
last week after Boston College. Virginia Tech is checking off some of the boxes. Twitter, I'm sorry. No, and I was going to say, you're not going to check all of those off in year two. It's, it's It's a process, and like you said, Brent Pry has to trust the process. This team is set for the future, assuming everything continues to trend in the right direction. One loss does not define the season, even though it is UVA, and even though it might cloud everybody's judgment. I was going to say, Twitter has no 10,000-foot view. No. Uh, no. That will be a cesspool if they were to lose this game. The message boards, uh, after periods of calm, maybe do. It will not uh, be very temperate uh, after this if they, if they were to lose this game. So we can talk about progress, and, and they've made it. Uh, in the heat of the moment, if they lose to UVA, nobody will be pleased with how the season has played out. And maybe that, you know, cools as the offseason gets going. But, man, I'm telling you, uh, a UVA loss does not play well if you're a Virginia Tech coach and having to go to the offseason, go to these quarterback club things and speaking engagements. Like, people people don't want you to lose the bowl game. They certainly don't want you to lose to UVA. You're going to be answering a lot of questions about that stuff. All this being said, I'm going to pick Tech to win this week. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, so, I'm too. I yeah. mean, I, 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 again, I go back to the how they play against good teams, how they play against bad exactly. teams. UVA is in the latter category on the whole of the season. That said, they're very unpredictable. I don't know who's going to show up. You got Calandria, who's got the confidence of a Super Bowl MVP out there. Like I credit <laughs> that kid for he is just like still a true freshman. I'm though. out here and I'm firing these passes down the field. It does not matter which team is catching them. I'm going to keep. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. And well, he's doing got nothing it. to lose. And I mean, shoot, the last two weeks he's got you know 500 some yards and, and four touchdowns. So I mean, he can hit on some of those. Sometimes it can get him in trouble too. But uh, I'll say this about UVA: they are a feisty team and they compete. In a lot of these games, that sometimes you don't expect them to. But I, I, I would probably pick Tech to win this one at this he, point. He puts the ball in danger. With that being said, Virginia Tech does not take away the football uh, a whole ton. That has kind of been a weakness of this defense this year. Maybe opportunity can change that a little bit on Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. You got two second-year head coaches, obviously, uh, the Commonwealth Clash. So, again, we'll tease the fact that we'll preview that thing in depth on Thursday. Wednesday. Wednesday, right? We're doing it on Wednesday. Thanksgiving is Thursday. (laughs) Appreciate the correction, Chris. Um, But for now, let's go ahead. Hold the football talk. I also, another thing we can tease for Wednesday, I want to talk maybe some possible bowl game destinations if and and when you do beat the Wahoos uh, on Saturday. And uh, let's let's talk a little bit of hoops here. Virginia Tech took down Wofford on the men's basketball side of things. 98 to 76 was the final score inside the castle yesterday. Three-point shooting improved, and Chris, it just proved your point right. Like, hey, they're going to have an off night. They went 4-19 against Campbell. Completely responded, shot the ball 50% from beyond the arc, going 10 of 20 last night. David and Chris, I know Andy's not a big hoops guy. Your thoughts uh, on the win over Wofford? Uh, I, this is the game... Before going down to Orlando, Virginia Tech needed. Virginia Tech needed to shoot the ball well. Um, I asked Mike Young. He said the exact same thing. And it's not like Virginia Tech has played bad, so to speak, but hasn't necessarily the consistency offensively has not been there. Um, when, When you do not shoot well in the first half against South Carolina, when you do not shoot well in the first half against Campbell, red flat, you know, your your ears start to perk up. You start to be like, what's going on with this team? Hunter Couture was 4-5 of five yesterday. Tyler Nickel was 3-3. Three of three. The guys shot well. Virginia Tech rebounded the ball well. Wofford's going to score. Like, Wofford is a good offensive team. Wofford's going to score points. It's hard to limit those guys. Tech was better in the second half defensively. Um, 
All things considered, I thought this is the exact result Virginia Tech needed a confidence builder going forward. I thought Link could impress once again. Brandon Recksteiner, I thought looked good in the time he played. Champadula was good again. Um, to get a, a a win where you shoot the ball very, very well and you see it go through the hoop a lot, you're going to go down to Orlando and you're going to play three really good teams, Boise State and then whoever else. You need to have confidence. And this is a win where... You know, when you talk to the players after the game, Tyler Nickel said, you know, we look at this, we looked at the game plan going in and we stuck to the game plan. And this was a, you know, even though it's just Wofford, this is a win that shows us that when we stick to the game plan, we can win basketball games. And I think, you know, that might be overlooked. This game might be overlooked by the fans in terms of how much confidence it does. But I know the players and I know Mike Young, they're looking at this game going, okay, I feel a bit better when we go down to Orlando. I agree with that. Man, Couture was really feeling it last night. Like, mm-hmm. he even made some shots that didn't count. Like, a foul will get called and then he'd take a step back three and it was just nothing but net. Like, I probably didn't come across on television how much he was feeling yeah. it last night. If he had pulled the trigger more, I think he could have scored 30. But he played within himself, within the offense. Uh, but, yeah, I think that game is a perfect example of, you know, how beautiful a Mike Young coached offense looks when it's operating on, on all cylinders. You know, the Tech did not shoot the ball well in the first half earlier this year. They certainly did yesterday. Uh, Wofford is is like they're not a great team, but they're not a bad one either. That's that's a big, big step up from, like, Coppin State and who, who's Campbell. Yeah, Campbell. Um, Wofford played Tennessee close this, earlier in the week. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they beat know. South Carolina in an exhibition for what that's Yeah, they did. Too. I mean, they're, they're lost by three. I'm sorry. They're, they're a well-coached basketball team. They've got good depth, too. Like, they play nine guys, like, cons- consistent minutes. Uh, uh, so it's sort of like you're playing, like, a mini version of yourself if you're Virginia Tech. So that, that's that's why I thought that was a, that was a good challenge uh, for the Hokies. And from a confidence standpoint, you're right. Uh, my main thing is, like, I, I need to see – them play better defense against the better teams on their schedule. And I I know this team's going to score enough points. You're going to get to the end of the season. If Virginia Tech doesn't make the in the state tournament, you're not going to say, well, they just didn't score enough this year. Mike Young's team just wasn't good enough offensively. You've never been able to say that about, about, about a Mike Young coach team. So for me, how much progress do they make defensively between now and the end of the season? That's going to ultimately tell the tale. It's funny because uh... – I'll read you this quote from Hunter Couture that I put in my game recap from last night and basically says the exact same thing. Quote, it gives us confidence in things we do well. Going into this game, we knew we could get good motion and good shots out of what our sets are. I think the biggest thing is going down there to Orlando. When you play in a neutral site, you never know the energy in the gym, so you have to bring your own energy. So I think having a game like this, having good confidence going in can really propel us. There are a lot of good teams down there. It's going to come down to the defensive end and how well we guard because I feel like on the offensive end, we're going to be able to compete with a lot of teams. At the end of the day, if we just hone down on the defensive side, I think we'll be okay. I think that's spot on. Yep. And I want I want to tee you guys up for this real quick. Last thing uh, on men's basketball here. How about Lynn Kidd? I mean, yeah. I, I thought maybe first couple of games, okay, you're playing lesser competition, maybe like a little bit of a fluke. Type, like, no, I think he has a legit chance to be a really, really good five in the ACC. You're talking about a guy that scored double figures every single game so far this season, has a pair of double doubles. He's always in the mix, and he's very, very reliable down low. Now, of course, he's going to play stiffer competition with some bigger size uh, once you get into ACC play, and I think it's going to be very telling what kind of a player he can be. But as far as Mike Young developing one player 
it's probably Hunter Couture number one. And then I'd say Lynn Kidd number two is most impressive because Lynn Kidd obviously wasn't a big contributor his first two years here. A little bit more last year. Now his third year after transferring from Clemson, and he's your everyday starter, and he's pretty darn good at the five. Yeah, you remember, I think he, he graduated high school early, right? And yeah, old, the, he's and, technically... He was an early enrollee. Yeah, exactly. So, like, his first year at Clemson. Or he reclassed, I should say. Right, right. It was a COVID year, and he was supposed to still be in high school anyway. So he didn't get, like, great development early in his college career. And it takes bigger guys a little longer to develop a lot of times anyway. So I think he's he's really developed. They've done a great job with him. The big concern for Tech this year was, do they have anybody who could consistently score with their back to the basket? You knew he could to a certain extent, but was that going to be 8 to 10 points a game, or, or was it going to be 14 to 16 points per game? Right now it's looking more like 14, 14 to 16, 16 points a game. So uh, I think that, that that's big. And uh, I would love to see him uh, use his COVID year and come back next year as well. Yeah. And, oh, and man, he made that 15-footer. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was big. He's got a good He's got a good jumper. Uh, the, I would say, Gio, don't forget about Keve Aluma. I think Keve Aluma is probably behind. He and Hunter Couture won two interchangeable in terms of the best work Mike Young has done at Virginia Tech in terms of tra- in terms of evolving guys. But I think the most impressive thing for me, to me, about Lynn Kidd yesterday was no turnovers. Mm. He had 20 points, seven rebounds, three assists, no turnovers. And they were collapsing hard on him, too. They were very physical. They were playing him hard down low in the post, and he did not turn the ball over. That is a, a big sign of improvement. I went and looked. There are only five other guys that have had, you know, they've scored 20 points, had seven rebounds, at least three assists in a game, and no turnovers. It, it's not like... You know, the no turnovers part is the big caveat because you can have 27, 3, and whatever, but people often turn the ball over. And I think that is the biggest sign of improvement to me that, you know, joining guys like Sean Smith, Malcolm Delaney, A.D. Visayo, Zabian Dowdell, like those are pretty good players in the past for Virginia Tech. Lincoln not turning the ball over is is huge. I, again, there's still a lot of questions to be answered about this Virginia Tech team, but he and Melagel Poteet provide a solid one-two punch on the inside. Still interested to see how everything shakes out with the four. Um, gonna come, yeah. Again, it's gonna come down to Tech playing good defense in Orlando, and you know Tech shooting might be on, might be off, but. Um, you know, we got a good glimpse of it last year. I think back to the Penn State game down in Charleston where Tech defended very, very well and won that game because of defense. It might be a similar game like that at some point this week. It's one of those weeks, and I guess you could say the same for most teams in the country at this point. I, you could see Tech going out and losing to Boise State on Thursday. You could also see him going 3-0 and down there and winning yeah. the whole thing. Boise State lost yesterday to Clemson, uh, to Clemson by... Yeah. Yeah, it was double digits. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna Joe have Gerard. A, yeah, uh, what'd you say? Joe Gerard. Oh yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, okay. he's pretty had good. to get it in there once. This yeah, he's pretty darn good. Uh, Tech was really good in transition. Um, that that's Mike Young offense 101 had 19 fast break points, 18 second chance points, attacking the glass. I mean, it was it was it was fun basketball to watch, particularly once they got going after the first you know 10 minutes of the ball game. Uh, obviously, they're going to have their work cut out for them down in Orlando. We're going to learn a lot about this basketball team. Mike Young is going to learn a lot about his basketball team. Worth noting as well, women in action tonight. They play UNC Greensboro before they head to the Cayman Islands. They'll be playing over Thanksgiving. Fun competition there. David, real quick, uh, women's side, UNC Greensboro tonight, and then they take a road trip as well. Uh, they get to play in a tropical location. Yeah, Uh Unfortunately, Will didn't want to send me to the Cayman Islands, <laughs> uh, so I have to. I have to. Unfortunately, 
you know, plan B is Orlando. Uh, I yeah, guess tell I, us about your road trip. I guess too. I'll take that. Sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I tell you what, thankfully we have, you know, if Andy, if we did not have Andy, I would be at Tech UVA this weekend and would be covering all five basketball games from my couch. Uh, so instead I get to go down to Orlando and I get to cover basketball. So I'm heading down Wednesday, driving down, um, because from there I'm going to Auburn. The men are at Auburn in the ACC SEC challenge next week. And then the women are at LSU the next day. Uh, Jack Brizendine and Carter Hill are going to come join me for the second leg of it after Thanksgiving. I think they're going to go to the Tech UVA football game. So, um, yeah, we'll have plenty of coverage. Andy will be on site obviously for UVA. Um, I'll be down in Orlando covering the men. I'll be at Auburn. I'll be at Baton Rouge. I'll be back in time for the men's game against Louisville. Um, you asked about the women. UNC Greensboro, nothing to really – I mean, it, it this is a game Tech should – Tech will probably win by 30-plus. Yep. Um, Kansas and, and Tulane are going to be interesting tests. Um, you know, Tech so far has played not good competition and Iowa. There's a big difference. One is a top five team, top ten team in the country – and has the best player in the country, and the other one, the others are like, you know, sub 300 essentially around there. Um, these are going to be interesting tests, and I'm curious to kind of look at the rotation and see how Kenny Brooks um, mixes and matches lineups and what he likes and how much the freshmen play. And do we see Elizabeth Kitley and Clara Strack on the floor at the same time? And um, th- these are these two games are going to answer a lot of questions. Same with the three games for the men. Uh, big big opportunities. Kansas won the WNIT last year. Tulane went to the WNIT, and these are two pretty good teams. UConn and LSU will also be down there. Um, Tech, unfortunately, is not playing them because these matchups were determined back in January before Tech went to the Final Four. Um, but I expect Tech to play pretty well. Uh, you know, This is a veteran group, or veteran-led group, I should say. A lot of young faces, but we've seen now a lot of positives, and... Um, I think like a, a big key is can Rose Michelle continue to play well at the four spot? She did not play very well against Iowa. She played better last game. Um, I, I'm very curious to see how Tech plays tonight against UNCG. I expect Tech to be good, but in terms of getting the young players minutes and how the young players perform, I think that group is coming along very nicely. And if kids like Clara Strack and Carly Wenzel can complement the veterans very well, this tech team is going to just continue to pick up steam, kind of like a snowball effect, I think. Continue to pick up steam before it hits ACC play. And um, you know, before we know it, it's going to be January 1st. So. All right. Well, I think that does it for our show today. Good reminder that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Uh, First Bank and Trust Company's support has been invaluable to TSL, helping us to bring you all the great content across all of our platforms. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. For David Cunningham, for Andy Bitter, for Chris Coleman, for Nick Brown, I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long. We'll see you again on Wednesday where we're going to preview some Thanksgiving hoops. And of course, we're going to talk about that uh, community college up north. All right. So long. We'll see you then.